Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan. Give a Man a Kick played their last ever gig at Bars in Clannacilty uh, a couple of weeks ago on Friday, October 23rd. It was the end of a brief Irish tour to mark the 10-year anniversary of We Are The Way Forward. If you've ever seen the two-piece live, you know exactly what was in store. Searing guitar lines, killer drums and some utterly devoted fans. They started with the first two songs of their debut album, Is It Okay To Be Loud Jesus, playing the ridiculous Jer Canning and then Say No To Sports. Then it was into Bobby Dazzler, and well, you can imagine what happened next. They tore through We Are The Way Forward. Give Man A Kick are one of a group of seminal rock bands that were around in Ireland in the mid-noughties, along with the likes of Ten Past Seven, Rest and Waiting Room, to name but a few. The day after the DeBarry show, I sat down with Steve Ryan, one half of Give A Man A Kick with Keith Lawler, to talk about the origins of Gamak, the making of We Are The Way Forward, which involved some excellent vehicular advice, touring Europe, the differences between Give A Man A Kick and Windings, and the excellent story of how Suffer The Gals got its name. So here's myself and Steve sitting upstairs at the bars uh, on the Saturday after the show, just having a bit of a chat. Okay, so sitting here with Steve from Give A Man A Kick up upstairs at the bars the night after your final Give A Man A Kick gig ever. Apparently, ever. this is what you're saying now. Definitely. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, no, this is what I'm saying now. I'm where I, we did say it before. Uh, I should probably just explain that. So the last time we, we did our last ever tour, <laughs> even that sentence feels wrong. The last time we did our final tour. Um, and the, the penultimate time we did our <laughs> yeah. final ever tour. Uh, that was like... Uh, it was a long time. That that was over a year in planning. Like we we had known previous to our kind of announcement that we were splitting up, that we were splitting up. But there was some stuff we wanted to do before we did that, uh, such as do an acoustic tour. So we did a give him an acoustic tour and things like that. We wanted to do all that, and we weren't in a rush to split up. We just knew kind of things were drawing to a close for us. Um, but in the back of my head, and I, I can't speak for Keith completely here, but in the back of my head, uh, that the idea of us not playing together ever again was just ridiculous. Um, and I was aware that down the line I would love to have celebrated Weird Away Forward because that was the album that kind of um, pushed us into public consciousness for better or for worse. So at our penultimate final tour, mm-hmm. um, I kind of just knew that this would be coming down the line five or six years later, you know. The, uh, the 10th anniversary Yeah, an tour, anniversary but... reunion tour. And now, now it's happened and now it won't happen again. So so this one has been really final uh, in my mind. Like the, the finality of it kind of hit me last week. Um, and in a kind of bittersweet way, you know. So we we got to celebrate everything we've done, and I don't think we did. Sorry, I don't think we destroyed the memory of giving men a kick. That that was our concern. That you know, it was ten years ago. We were lads in our mid twenties doing that, bringing everything we had to our performances, to everything we did. Uh, and you know, things change in ten years. So we were just conscious of people who had seen us, who did know us from ten years ago. We didn't want to. Like, destroy that memory of whatever they had for better or for worse of us and after the four gigs we feel we feel happy we feel we were able to do this uh we're really happy we've done it but i don't think i could ever do it again uh in that capacity you know why do you mean like just that you're finished with it now like you've yeah. kind of put it to bed yeah 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 it, it feels like this was an excellent way to properly close uh the give men a kick chapter yeah. of, of my musical life <laughs> if you know what i mean um uh, and it's just been great. It's been amazing. It, it, like it's, uh, it's been a really busy time for both of us, for myself and Keith, over the past few months with different things. So, um, in retrospect, 
you know, it would have been nice to have a clear kind of two months to do this, but I don't think that's ever going to happen in our lives ever again anyway. Right. So we, we've we've thrown everything we have into it as much as we could. And, I oh mean, it was great. It was just brilliant. These four gigs have been amazing. Yeah. Do you, when you talk about you would have liked to have done a little bit more, like as in um, more dates sort of no, thing, or were you just kind of no, like we, four dates is enough? Yeah, four dates was enough. It's just we, like, we didn't get to hang out, really. That, that's really what it was. Like, Keith has been living in Dubai for the past couple of years, and he only moved back to Dublin uh, just before summer. <clears throat> but we had booked this like in February, March, this tour. Oh, okay. So we knew it was coming. But uh, I really haven't got to see him that much at all. And, and we haven't met. We've talked on the phone and everything, obviously, and, and Skype and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's just that that's, we didn't really get to hang out too much because we're, we're both doing our separate things in between the dates. And any time we did get together was to practice, you know, proper hardcore practice to get up to speed and everything. And any time we we're kind of talking was just to make sure everything was organized for the, the tour. So it was really only last night that we got to properly chill out. Yesterday we got here early and, yeah. and relax and have a good old chat and stuff. Still friends like after all these years. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah that'll never change. Yeah. yeah. When did you first meet? Was it like, were you like old school friends? Um, yeah, yeah, proper old school. Uh, we first met, um, I, I was coming out of my first band in Limerick, which called Tooth. Keith was coming out of his first band, which were called Kelsino Fiasco. Um, I played guitar and that's all. Keith actually played guitar as well. That was all. Uh, but I I remembered from when Tooth were actually called Nero, which is, this is old, old school. Nero. Nero. Keith was in a band called... Oh, no. I can't remember. <laughs> Shit. Keith's old band. Keith's old band. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry, Keith, if you're listening. Um, he played drums anyway, so I knew he played drums. Okay. Uh, but he came to prominence as a guitarist in Calzino Fiasco. But when both our bands kind of fell by the wayside or split up, <clears throat> I started doing solo gigs and they were very quiet. And then I started kind of writing noisier songs. And so my gigs, my my, my sets were kind of 50 50 um, quiet songs and then distortion pedals. And I, I said, I'd love, I think I need to be in a band again. And uh, Keith was coming to a couple of gigs and I knew he played drums. So I kind of cornered him a bit and went, I know you play drums. <laughs> I know you're, you're a guitar guy now, but I know you still have a drum kit. And uh, he was like, yeah. I said, do you want to do something? He goes, come out to my house on Sunday. We'll do some stuff. And that was literally, that was it every Sunday. Like every Sunday, we just went out to the shed, uh, out his back garden of his family home and practiced and practiced. And it was the height in Limerick of a crew called the AMC, the Aspersion Music Collective. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, it was, I saw, saw a little bit about that online today. It was yeah. Al- Albert and Richard. Yeah, from Albert Lim. and Richard and a bunch of other people, like a bunch of other players setting it up. Um, but they were bringing bands to Limerick they were putting Limerick on the map as a gig place again because Limerick goes through patches I think uh, when it comes to live music when nothing happens and then there's this hive of activity for a couple of years and then it dies down a bit and so on and so on it's cyclical almost so at that time it was uh, it was the place to be like it still is the place to be obviously it still is but at the time for live music like everybody wanted to play Limerick it was on the proper gigging circuit and like these international guys, bands wanted to come yeah to yeah like, so we were like playing with Rock from the Crypt we were playing with Yeah Yeah Yeahs like we were playing with all these bands, we were reading about an enemy and who we saw on TV, and they were playing in our like in our town, and you talk oh. to them, and these are normal guys. Yeah, they're not that much older than us at the time, and they're just going, "This is amazing! We can't believe we're we're getting to tour the world, and yeah, here let's share share our beers. You can use our equipment, and vice versa." And so, that, so it just kind of wind, widened your eyes, I guess. One hundred percent, like anybody yeah. can do this. Uh, we we can do this. So we decided to record our first album. Is it okay to be loud, Jesus? With our friend Mark O'Connor, who recorded uh, Keith moved into town, then to this horrible, horrible, horrible place <laughs> uh, where nobody wanted to live. So that was great because we could record our album there without being interrupted. Um, and that was it. That was the first time we actually heard ourselves 
uh, what we sounded like because <laughs> we were just playing gigs constantly for a year trying to get you know trying to find out what kind of band we were and we recorded we went ah that's what it is and okay. like why did you stay a two-piece why did you try adding people to it and it just didn't work out or no uh, that never happened it was just um or was, this would we, have been we, like 2000 or something 2002 so like you're seeing say. like the white stripes maybe yeah there was that yeah they were coming out um but well there was actually an agreement between both of us that because uh, there was a couple of kind of rock and roll duos coming out of that stage and they were kind of blues rock and we just thought that was kind of too easy and it's not where we were coming from. We were coming from like um, stuff on Discord. There was this DVD floating around Limerick for a good year <laughs> called Michigan Fest. And it was a DVD basically of this one-off festival, as far as I know, that happened in Michigan. And it had these amazing bands. It had Sweep the Leg Johnny on it. It had Vaz. It had Roy Coalition. And all these bands who I'd never previously heard of. And once I saw this, I was like, this is, a, this is amazing. The intro, uh, it just happened in some warehouse they just set up and recorded really low quality DVD. I don't even know who owned it. It just happened to end up that we'd watch it at parties and stuff. And the intro is some guy going, um, this is who we are, everybody here tonight. We're here, we're leaving our shitty day jobs behind. That's not who we are. Who we are right now here, this is who we are. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is this is right. And uh, we wanted to be that. We, we we just wanted to leave everything and just, just play all the time. So when it came to like getting more members, um, it never really factored in because we didn't have time we were just we were getting offered gigs all the time we didn't have time to train someone in and you know we thought yeah, we're loud enough anyway you know we'll deal with that later but the blues rock thing then was kind of cheating we thought so those bands we saw in Michigan Vest they were just playing this music that really I hadn't heard before so it was like stuff off Discord records and it was like stuff off Load records and things like that and that's what we wanted to do we wanted to be confrontational we wanted people not to know what we were doing uh, but we had to know what we were doing Okay. And, and and that's kind of the way it was and we were perfectly okay with two people like we, we kind of early on like we didn't really know each other that well um, we just knew each other from the music scene but we did just have this unspoken thing that like yeah I think we think we know both of us know what's going on here we'll, we'll leave it at this for a while and see how we get on and that it just continued that way forever right yeah um, what was just going back to Limerick at that time like what were the venues and what were the other local bands around at the time like um well, if like, you can remember, the the it's gonna be hard. Um, <clears throat> it started off in the Savoy. Savoy's no longer there, uh, but I think they started running hardcore shows, like proper UK hardcore. Like there was straight edge guys coming to town, and they were they were muscly guys, you know. And they're still amazing. Like these are matinee shows, daytime shows on oh, Saturdays, okay, right. all ages. It was brilliant. Then <clears throat> they started taking off, uh, so I think the lads had to look for more venues. So the High Stool opened, and that was like the rock bar, and for the two or three years, that was just the place. That was just amazing. Uh, the people that came through there was insane. Uh, you had Fugazi coming through the Savoy as well. That was a big deal. Uh, and you're learning from all these bands as well. As, you know, you're kind of when you're in a band, you were looking to see how they were doing this. And like Fugazi had flasks. That that's what struck me. Ian McKay, Ian McKay, had a flask, and this blew my mind. <laughs> he got out of his van that he had driven to. Like this is Fugazi. He had driven to the Savoy. They loaded all their gear up five flights of stairs and then he sat in his van drinking coffee from his flask because you know it's cheaper it's like okay this blows my mind you're, you're a real band and you have a flask I went and bought a flask the next day like that was it uh, so the bands around like there was some seriously noisy shit in, in Limerick like um, it, it really got into a, a rock kind of thing and like a really angular kind of stuff so people were doing really really cool stuff um, but they were coming and going really fast 
you know but the same guys would be popping up in different bands around okay so they were just kind of like doing a gig or two and then kind of yeah just yeah gone. just gone and they might come back again but in the meantime they're going to do this other band for a while and then that will come back it was really like uh, and everybody was doing stuff with each other and uh, yeah really fond memories at that time um, well yeah I suppose because it was our form, my formative years I guess as a yeah as giving them a kick and, and trying to do this and um, yeah it was that was definitely a purple patch for Limerick there um, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously this is all rose tinted glasses I'm sure there were shit gigs as well I don't remember <laughs> them though I really don't remember them at all um, there weren't any <laughs> yeah well I mean I, w- I was thinking about this like in terms of the the give a man a kick um, kind of reunion you know ten, 10 years of we're we're the way forward yeah. 10 years since we are the way forward and like uh, do you get nostalgic about like that time like I remember like um, yesterday last night at the gig you were pl- um, I think it was Gravity that you were talking about and you were saying like uh man we never we never play that live it was it's too hard to play like yeah. the, the people who wrote that are like mad bastards <laughs> you know what were we doing and uh so like in terms of nostalgia did you want it to be something like you you talk about not wanting to kind of poo poo give a man a kick the history and everything mm-hmm. what people had i mean do you think you're adding to it as well rather than just reliving it sort of thing you know and kind of i, I don't know um I mean, is that something that you want to avoid, just kind of re- repeating yourself, I guess? Yeah, I don't do that. Like, I, I don't like doing that. I don't generally like looking back at what I've done before. But with this, like, this was a big deal to me. This is, uh, Give Man a Kick made me who I am today, like, musically and, and my ethos and everything, the way I go about everything, I learned from Give Man a Kick, like, everything I do musically. <clears throat> As so, uh, I, I wanted to celebrate it rather than reunite just to kind of go, you know, it's not like we're earning loads of money out of doing the tours up there. It's a retirement fund. It's not for that. It's it's just to celebrate what what we did ten years ago and kind of, you know, hope hope that uh, people think it's something worth celebrating. You know, I, I thought we were taking a chance doing it, and we were. We were taking a chance doing it. You know, um, but it has worked out. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a strange time thinking about all that, and you do get nostalgic about it. And I'm really glad we did it. Uh, because it does feel final and it can feel now that, yeah, that that was a cool time. That was a great album. We were a decent band and people got on side with us. And we wrote weird songs. Yeah, so like that Gravity song when I did, like we never played that. That was really hard. And even when we recorded, I think I used a banjo and acoustic guitar. I don't even know if there's electric guitar on it. Uh, so I think it just wasn't in our minds when it came to doing the earlier gigs. Like, oh, we can't play that. We don't have a banjo. <laughs> That's what it was. Uh yeah, there was a there was a lot of uh, a lot of creativity going on back then. Um, that album was recorded in three days as well, which is mental to me. R- recorded and mixed, indeed, in three days. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, th- we played it here in the bars in two thousand and four, so it was a year after we recorded and released our first album. The band we played were Berkeley. They were a band from Northern Ireland. Uh, they were cool. They were like a like a power rock trio or something that's a terrible genre I just invented that power, power rock, rock trio, trio. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back anyway they were really good they were really good and somehow we, we I think they, they heard us and they liked us and they contacted us going look we're going to do a tour uh, do you want to come like, yes absolutely uh, and just talking about Fugazi earlier and learning stuff like the flask um, Berkeley opened our eyes man they had they were on it so they had released an album and they were getting some attention. They were getting great reviews. So we were able to go around in their van because there was only two of us. So we could use all our equipment. So there was five of us traveling around. And they had like a merch box. They had stuff to sell. 
we had that even that never crossed our mind even though like you would have been a band for three or four years yeah before that yeah didn't even cross our mind like that was it they had t-shirts they had badges what crazy and uh they brought their own food to gigs so they didn't have to spend like a tenner every time this is amazing well well i mean i have a flask but i never thought of bringing food so Mm. uh they, they just showed us how to do things you arrive at a venue you set up you meet the people you say hi to them you meet the sound engineer uh, your gender, you be nice people and things. It was just like stuff you take for granted nowadays that uh, we didn't know. Like they they kind of showed us how to be a touring band. They don't know that. I never would tell them. They're gonna know now mm-hmm. to hear this. So Tommy was the lead singer, uh, and he was the guitar player. And Tommy had a recording studio he was trying to set up, um, and he said, "Look, if you're going to record another album, I'd really love to try and record it." It's like sure, Tommy, brilliant. Nobody like you know. Wow, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't know he recorded it. Yeah, so we we planned then that summer. We went up to uh, Donegal, Letterkenny, uh, to Tommy's studio. Had a bit of an ordeal. We bought a van because Berkeley had a van. So we have to have a van. <laughs> so we bought a van. <laughs> what, what kind of van do you have, Berkeley? <laughs> <laughs> we actually bought the same van. We bought this cool long wheelbase Transit. We called it Fergus. Um, and and in between the time in the year in between that we actually got to tour the UK and stuff in it. Um, but when we got back, I accidentally, I didn't know much about vans at the time. <laughs> and I knew we needed oil. Oh, this is bad. But uh, so I had to put in some oil before our trip to Letterkenny. The van had been acting up. Fergus wasn't doing great at this stage. Uh, he was on the way out. Like he only cost 800 euro. How long did you have it at this stage? About a year. <laughs> about yeah. a year. It was. It looked class. That's all that mattered. It was kind of red and white. I looked cool. But I went to top up the oil. I, honestly, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And... I put oil into the brake fluid by accident. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, didn't tell Keith that. Keith didn't <laughs> drive it. I was the only one who drove it anyway, so it didn't matter. So I didn't tell Keith that. So we loaded the van anyway. And uh, Did you know at this stage, uh-oh, I think he, I put it in the van. Yeah, I rang the mechanic, like, and he's like, oh. So what can I do? He goes, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> like, shit, no. Are you sure? He goes, I'm sure. So I didn't tell Keith. Uh, I told him after a while, obviously, because the brakes were gone weird. Um, so we loaded the van and we, we set off for Letter Kenny the van wouldn't start so we had to call a mechanic <coughs> he's like look where are you going Letter Kenny he went lads <laughs> <laughs> don't stop just go I went okay okay so we went and uh, just outside Shannon which is literally 20 minutes from Limerick we got stopped by guards because we didn't have our tax disc and I had paid it I had paid it I just didn't put it up I'm he said pull over there it's like oh shit okay so we pulled over he goes turn off the engine it's like can't I can't turn off the engine guard. I'm sorry. He goes, turn off the engine. He's like, okay. So he took details and said, look, come back to your nearest guard station within seven days. Show us the tax disc. You'll be happy. He went, okay. So I went to start the van. The van wouldn't start. Obviously, we'd call the mechanic again. He was cursing us. He came out. Guards were just laughing. They drove off. <laughs> and the mechanic starts. I said, lads, don't stop. I don't care who you meet. So I went, okay. So that was pertinent, actually, what he said. So we got as far as Kilcolgan. It was like Galway. It was raining heavily now at this stage. And uh, Fergus was full of gear, full of gear. We brought everything we owned up to Tommy. And it was really raining heavily. And in Kilcolgan, there's kind of a crossroads. And it's 50 kilometers an hour, so I wasn't going that fast. But the woman in front of me stopped all of a sudden to leave someone cross a car. I don't think you do that. Anyway, she did it. So I slammed on the brakes and okay. But because our van was full of stuff the van didn't stop at all it just went and aquaplaned uh, right into the back of the car oh no uh, and then someone plowed into the back of us so the radiator was all smashed in the front of our van the back of it was all crushed and nobody got really injured that much um, that much <laughs> we all got out and we were in a bit of shock uh, the so equipment was okay the equipment was fine check that straight away it was fine 
And then we checked the other passengers of the other plane. They were fine too. So the woman in front of us, she sat down and said, are you all right? She goes, I'm fine. I'm just a bit of shock. I said, are you hurt? She goes, I'm not hurt. Uh, I'm fine. And the woman behind us then, we didn't even know she hit the back of us. She's like, are you okay? We're like, yeah, we're grand. Oh, look at you did, jerk. Oh, look at our van. Oh, no. Uh, so we all sat, the three cars sitting there in the rain going, what are we going to do? Um, so our van wouldn't start again. It was dead. Like That was the end of it. So an ambulance just happened to pass and saw what was going on. Um, the traffic was just mental. And he was, everybody okay? And the woman who we hit in front of was like, I have a sore neck. And he went, whoa! And got stretchers out and stretched her and had a, they, they took the precautions they were meant to and brought her to the hospital. We were like, oh shit, are we, maybe, are we okay? <laughs> I think we're fine, I have a sore neck. We're fine, we're fine. So we called Tommy and said, um, <laughs> we're, we're still going to be there tonight, but can you come down and collect us? Because our van is broken. And he's like, I, I can't, no, I really can't. I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he couldn't, which is fair. But he found someone who could. So he sent a friend of his down to collect us and all our gear. So seven hours later, uh, he came down to Kilcolgan. I think it was about 10 o'clock at night. And we got back up to Letterkenny, maybe about five in the morning. Had a few hours sleep. Woke up next morning, still very much in shock. And started recording at 10 o'clock and did that for like 72 hours straight. <laughs> and mixed it. And then had to rent a van to drive home in. And then when we got to Limerick, we were like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> what just happened in the past Bad few days? Uh, and then we heard the mixes and you know, like, oh my God, everything's so fast. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we, we were, yeah, we were in shock. And that was it. That, that was, so that was a story about the recording of the album. Like we had practiced so much to record it. So we knew the songs inside out because we were aware we only had three days to record and mix it. So we knew we had to go in and just play them. Wait, ju- just because um, like Tommy was busy or you guys had to get back to work or something? or um, We weren't earning a lot of money. Like, you, you know, you're only getting like 50 quid per gig or something like that. And that paid for petrol or whatever. So we saved whatever we could. So we said, look, Tommy, here's how much money we have. He's like, three days, we can do this. You can get an album in three days. And we actually ended up recording 14 songs and we just scrapped the other two because we didn't like them. Uh, so we, we got loads. We got everything done, you know. Yeah. Um, and that kind of set the template for me in my recording life up to date basically I've never spent more than four days in a studio doing any album with any band because yeah. <coughs> I don't think you need to um, and did Tommy teach you like more again in the studio well Tommy um, had his studio he was living in his parents house and it was a, a decent house a big house like uh, so he had the whole attic converted into his studio and his parents happened to be away and that is why we could record all night as well if they were there it would have been different you know yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't have kept going all night um so it was our first time in a real studio. Basically, we went to a studio and it was an amazing experience, amazing experience. And when we heard that, it was like, oh, whoa, listen to us. Okay, yeah, this is what we actually think we sound like. This is this is cool. And it was a really great and accurate representation of where we were musically at the time. And uh, like we released it and Out in the Limb released it. And it, it like honestly, it took about a year for people to go, all oh, right, okay. Okay, they got it at the wall. It's not so bad at all, actually. I can. Uh, so reviews were like coming in after six months, maybe after release, and the reviews were all great. And then we started getting calls to us asking us to play, as opposed to us ringing people saying, "Can we play in your place?" It's like, wow, wow, this is amazing. And yeah, it all started from there, really. That was the real starting point, I think, for yeah. us to be like a serious band. So it's like, I guess maybe halfway through your your career as the band like if you're saying you ended in around 2009 so that would have been halfway through and it kind of set you up 
mm. for everything else. Yeah, everything happened really fast then. Um, we were just constantly touring. Uh, it was our full-time job. Like We agreed, we, if we're going to do this properly, we need to quit everything we're doing and concentrate on this. And that was really hard. Like actually being like, this is it. We have to make enough money to survive. Yeah, yeah. so we ended up playing loads. And in Ireland, you know, as an original band, you can't really, you can't do that for a prolonged period of time because you're not playing covers. There aren't people who will come and see you every month because you'll be playing there next month anyway. You know, people can't afford to go see you every month and we didn't factor that in. So, you know, it was really difficult. We weren't making enough money to, to live on at all and, and things got really stressful, you know. Um, but we, we agreed to do it. So we, we got to tour like loads of places. We got to go to Germany and UK a few more times. And that kept you going and the reviews were still good and, you know, the mood was cool, but still you're not making any money at all. Uh, and that was really hard. It was really hard. So um, we had to change stuff, basically. Um, we had to get, get part-time jobs and stuff like that. And we didn't think it was cool to do that, you know. You want to be a real band, you can't work. So then we looked at that Michigan Fest DVD again and we looked at the guy doing the intro who says about the day jobs. Uh, and we go, no, that's not who we really are. That's just what we have to do. Uh this tonight, this is who we really are. And we're like, yeah, all these bands we really love, they, they have day jobs, you know, and they're like, we look up to them, they have a DVD. Um, so we can do this, we can do day jobs and still do this. And we did that. We did jobs we didn't really like and it made money to pay our bills, barely, but it allowed us to give men a kick as well and save more money, which was important to us to record the next album, basically. Was it kind of disappointing in a way that you couldn't make it work just the music? Like, even when it's just two of you, like, you know, you're only mm. splitting the profits between the two of you mm. and, you know, you're touring around Europe and England and Ireland and you still kind of can't make enough to make a living out of it. Was it disappointing at first or were you just kind of like being realistic about it? Well, no, like it wasn't disappointing. It, it was hard. We knew it would be hard. So we weren't fooling ourselves. We weren't going to go, yeah, we're going to make it. Um, we'd always say that in interviews, though. Yeah, we're, we're going to take <laughs> over the world. You know, I'd say that. But we knew like, yeah, no, you know, people want to hear this, but we have to be realistic this is a hard slog and we're, we're going for it like because we agreed to so you know we know it's going to be hard um it was disappointing sometimes um of course yeah, of course but you take the highs with the lows you know you play uh three shit gigs and then there's one really good one it's kind of cool that totally negates the three shit gigs amazing you get one really good review it's like excellent we're doing something right you know stuff like that counts you know it's a little green tick it's like, cool nice one but um it, it, disappointing no like it's Ireland it's a very small country people don't realise that and you know there's constantly talk of bands in Ireland not getting the support they need and radio not supporting them and, and you know all that and, and that, that's true that's that's a whole different thing but you know it's Ireland it's really small and if you want to be a band and you want to get successful you, you have to leave there aren't enough people in Ireland for your band to get to the top of the charts and be the best band in Ireland and everybody will go to see your gigs all the time for the rest of your life it's not going to happen you need you need a long-term plan like and we realized you have to get out of ireland and it's just when we left ireland it's like oh man the world is huge yeah <laughs> wow there's so much so much more going on um and it made us appreciate what we had in ireland even more really uh like we had a regular gigging circuit and everything but there was that was in every other country um and you've heard us you, like we had this notion that we'd get on the radio and stuff but like we realised then what we sounded like and that wasn't feasible. <laughs> we weren't going to be alongside uh, Alien End Farm or whatever was on the radio at the time. It wasn't going to happen. Um, and once we realised that, it was like, okay, we, okay, again, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. Larry Gong is not going to play us and we're not going to be on the Late Late Show. So get rid of those as, as benchmarks. 
get rid of them completely. Uh, we're not going to set out the point unless we go away to America and get really famous and then come back maybe. Yeah. You know? uh, so we were realistic. We were realistic. So there, there's disappointment, of course, but we knew it was coming, so it didn't hurt too much. Yeah. I um, Just like every time I hear Irish bands like say, we're not going to get played on the radio, I just think, Bands that sound like you who are in England get played on BBC Radio 1. They get played on yeah. BBC Radio 6. It's like, it's not, I don't think that it's the bands who are the problem here. It's, you know, it's the radio stations and the fact that, you know, like, I don't listen to radio that often, but when I do, I'm just kind of like, it sounds the same. This, yeah. you know, these two stations are playing the exact same pop songs at the exact same time. And then the rest of it is just uh, all talk radio. Well, you're looking at two radio stations, Ireland. That's what it comes down to. You have our national broadcaster, RTE, and then you have Today FM and everything affiliated with it, which is most of the other radio stations. Even the localised radio stations are owned by UTV Ireland and, and you know... Classic hits. Yeah, you know, they're, they're just all playlisted. The like, there's only a couple of DJs who are actually allowed play what they want to play. And they're generally relegated to late at night or early on Sunday mornings. And Like, Dan Hagerty is someone who people should be... Um, you know, like young people should be listening to him now as it seems like young people 20 years ago were listening to Dave Fanning or yeah, whomever. 100%. And it's like, unless you know that he's on 2XM yeah. or unless you're staying up until like 4am, I think his yeah, show goes yeah. on until on 2FM. Yeah. Like, and Dan Hegarty is one of the biggest supporters of Irish music. Irish he's great, music. yeah. He's, a, he's an amazing dude and he's been nothing but supportive to us like always. And uh, and same with Paul McLoone today, FM. Like, like they're those people who can play you will play you. They will yeah. play you. Um, but who, like, you know, that this is where they're they're put, they're put, like, at the late night shifts and everything like that because, you know, they have to play Irish music on their stations, but it interferes with Rihanna and stuff. So, you know, just give them three hours somewhere else. It's a huge problem. But, you know, uh, and I hate saying this, but like, even you just said it, like, you don't listen to radio that much. I don't know too many people who do unless they're driving around in their car. Mm. Um, it's not something that people do that much anymore. People listen to podcasts. People will stream stuff later. Um, people will find their own damn music. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's both an amazing thing and a not so cool thing because it, it does kind of sideline radio a small bit. Um, also, bands get paid when they get played on the radio. People forget that. Uh, bands get paid. Irish bands get paid when they get played on the radio. That's important to the Irish music industry. It's important because Imro exists. Um, so it's a double-edged sword of radio. I do hear hearing people complain they're not getting played in the radio. It's like you don't even listen to radio. Shut up! Like why? <laughs> shut up! You don't even listen to radio. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But well, I mean, it's catch twenty two. I guess mm. if they played good music on the radio, maybe more people. Would I don't listen. believe so. I don't think they would. I think it's too late now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's too late. Just young, younger people aren't listening to the radio. No, they're just and they're definitely not thing. watching television. They're not watching our Irish radio, like TV stations. Yeah. And like you know. Do you think... I think they've lost the demographic that they need to exist into the future. I really do. Do you think um, they're still finding new bands, new Irish bands? Or do you think that there might... You know, they're kind of just looking at, say, um, Pitchfork, you know, wherever you find your music, like mm -hmm. YouTube. They're just clicking on the related videos or something like that. That they're, they're just kind of sticking to what they know rather than being exposed to something new. Um because that's what I think radio are, offers. It offers you like, and and you know, say all of the old old media like newspapers and stuff. You know, um, like you see a news story that 
you're you know you're interested in Manchester United and then you see an interesting story about you know rugby or whatever you know you're just exposed to something yeah. new and I guess it's the same with radio you like this band maybe you like this band yeah yeah there is that yeah there is that but you have to do sit down and listen to it in the first place as well so yeah. that's where the, the problem yes. arises yeah. <laughs> uh, you know where I like I don't want to come across like we're not grateful for all the support we do get from Irish radio because we do and we are grateful but you know it needs a radical rethink if it's if it's to stay relevant. Um, I think that's my that's my personal opinion, and everybody's aware of this. But I don't think much to be done. I don't think much yeah. will be done to be honest, because um, one is a national broadcaster and the other one is commercial radio. And commercial radio don't give a damn. They're going to play what people, what they uh, know people want to hear, and people want to hear pop music. People have always wanted to hear pop music, and that's what's going to get people listening, and that's what gets advertising. People have always, want, always wanted to hear pop music. They have. Mm. There was a weird area there in the 90s when everything went guitar-y and that was cool. It was. It was amazing. And guitar was all over the radio. But, you know, so was Rave in the early 90s. Yeah. I, uh, I was watching a documentary today about psychedelia, Psychedelica yeah. in like the late 60s in England and it's just how, you know, that was getting to number five in the charts, yeah, number one right. in the charts. This happens. Like it, it goes through, but it doesn't mean it's going to stay forever. That isn't the nature of music at all. Look the way I'm pouring this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it'll settle. It'll settle if you okay. can't. Um, just talking about guitar bands, I guess, it seems like, just going back to um, post We Are The Way Forward back in like 2005, 6, 7, mm-hmm. it sounds like Ireland back then was just reveling in a lot of heavy guitar-based music. The mm-hmm. likes of Rory Tempest 7, who was at your gig yeah, last cool. night. Like he, he was just telling me a story about you. He... he um, waiting room were supporting give a man a kick at an all ages show in Whelan's at 2 a.m or 2 p.m yeah don't make more sense <laughs> um and it was just you know place was full and you know place was full for like a later show and just mm. I've, I've just heard stories that like all those bands kind of cork and limerick bass sort of thing were playing full big shows up in dublin it mm-hmm. sounds like it was a good time to be in a guitar band. It was. I put that all down to Out and Limb Records. Like they had Waiting Room, Ten Past Seven, they had ourselves, they had Rest. Um, and they, they would organize tours. Like they would take all those four or five bands on tour uh, around the place. And there was a reaction from Dublin kind of going, <gasps> what's this? This is like happening outside Dublin. And, and there was a kind of an element of, uh, well, we have to pay attention to this. This is this is outrageous and amazing. And uh, um we were delighted. It was brilliant. <laughs> it was an amazing time. And we got to tour all around the country a few times with the Out and Limb tours. And all those bands were at their peak and there was an element of competition, absolutely an element of competition between all four bands to outdo each other on stage in a live capacity. Uh, and that was All four brilliant. bands, uh, one, uh, Give Man a Kick? I think it was Rest Tempest 7, Give Man a Kick and Waiting oh, okay. Room. And, you know, as the gigs went on, you're, you're pushing yourself harder and harder because, you know, Tempest 7 were actually pretty good last night we need to outdo them tonight mm-hmm. and the, the lads would say the same thing it was brilliant it was a brilliant time um, and yeah that, that was another purple patch that it really was it was uh, and then I have very fond memories of those times uh, playing Roaching Dove playing Whelan's and uh, playing Cypress Avenue in Cork um, and of course I think we were doing Dolan's and High Stool in, in Limerick and they were doing matinee shows yeah we were doing all ages shows and they were really well attended and you know, I'm older now, so I can't tell you if that's actually still happening right now. I, I don't feel qualified to say. Maybe there are bands who are 10 years younger than me, and they do that. I don't know. I don't get to see as many live shows as, as I really yeah. want to. It's just the way of things. 
Um, so I'm not really qualified to say whether oh, things are way better then, you know. Um, but yeah, in my experience, it was an amazing time. It was it was brilliant, and I'm glad Rory said that. Yeah, because we, we like I don't I don't get to meet Rory enough anymore at all, and I do enjoy talking to him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we always kind of we talk about that time. Oh, geez, that was that was a good time. Yeah. We were we're lucky. That was cool. We're so lucky to have been able to do that for the length of time we did. And like there were, there were bands in Dublin, like I mean Redneck Manifesto yeah. obviously would be the main band that I can think of. Like I guess Richter Collective maybe formed a little bit later than that, but they kind of continued on that ethos. I they guess. did, yeah, but, very much so. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess I kind of yeah I, I was thinking about this because I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I, I was thinking about that train of thought going from Mountain Lame and and the Richter Collective. And the bands they were coming out with. There's people shouting outside. Should I stop for a second? They must really like Richter Collective. <laughs> the Richter Collective radar is on full of it. Um, so I was trying to think of it. Yeah, think of a logical progression. And it's, yeah, it's to do with the DIY ethos again. And, and how, you know, just because you do it yourself doesn't mean it has to be shit at all. And you can do it at a really professional level, which Richter Collective did. They really did. Like, And they had the bands. They had a... They had the branding, they had everything, and they they were great. Um, it's a pity they went under. It, it really is, because uh, they reached really high and they were getting there. And obviously, for whatever reasons, it, they felt they couldn't continue, uh, and that was that was a pity. But like they left us with some amazing bands, and we were lucky enough. Kind of towards the end of Give Man a Cake, we got to have had a BC Shank open for us a couple of times, and it was around then I started to notice a bit of a change. Uh, like, okay, so we were playing in Roisin Dove and they were opening for us and they're great, they're great lads and we love them. Um, but this whole new crew in the audience came in who we'd never seen at our gigs and they were like, they were there for Adebisi. Uh And when Adebisi were finished, like they were amazing, obviously. Um, th- they left, they were gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were playing to, to, to a different audience then. And I, I noticed that. I was at the time, I was like, okay, okay, they, they, have, their, they have their own crew and these are a different audience to ours and they, they like how to be seen. That's they, interesting. They don't need to give me a gig. And then, um, I think it was a couple of months later, we were playing some gig in Whelan's and uh, it was, again, it, it wasn't a great gig. There was something weird about it. It was a weird atmosphere that, that night. Uh, we all agreed. Uh, and even I was talking to the lads I knew in the audience, they're going, that's kind of strange here tonight. It's, that happens. It just happens with gigs. Yeah. Uh, but there was a communal feeling of it. There's, there's a weird gig. Um, but, at the BC Shank, I was watching them from the balcony upstairs in the Whelan's. And this uh, <laughs> always sticks with me. And I apologise to Mick Rowe for this, because uh, I know he didn't really mean anything bad by it at all, but he was like, uh, he he kind of copped on that it was a weird atmosphere. And, you know, it's just the room was strange. He's like, yeah, this is a weird gig. Um, thank thank you all for watching us. And at least at least he did. Give him a kick, didn't even come and watch us. I was like, no, hey. And I'm shouting down from the balcony. No, I'm here. He goes, oh, yeah, there you are. Sorry, man. It's like, okay, cool. But I was kind of like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? What's going on? I'm still feeling weird about the Roisin Dove gig. And I was saying to afterwards, he goes, you know, sorry for shouting you from the balcony. He goes, oh, sorry for saying that. But absolutely no worries. I would definitely have done the same thing. Have done the same thing many times yeah. myself. But in my mind, I was kind of going, something happening here. Things are changing here. Yeah. Um, was it kind of like the competition that you had with likes Waiting Room and Rest and 10 Past 7? Was that kind of taken a little bit more seriously or something? with like those guys I don't know it definitely no. wasn't a competitive thing oh it was nothing from their story this is all going on in my head okay. oh sorry I have to I have to stress oh, that okay, right. this yeah. is nothing to do with them this is stuff I was thinking and nosing myself oh those guys were just they were just um, they'd only been around for about a year and they were fucking they were just slaying it like yeah. they were just 
oh they're amazing and they were amazing like and I wanted everybody to see them um, so I just wanted that because they had to be seen that was it um, but I just started noticing like it was around the time where things were happening Give Men a Kick we had released our last album we were kind of aware that maybe this this could be it this could be it so I, I was in that mindset at the time and I, I think that kind of prompted me to go yeah I think I think actually we're kind of we're done we're done it's okay for us to to head off now and finish up because you know there are other bands we don't need to be here you know we don't need to be making this music anymore uh, because I don't think we can anymore um, we don't have any songs left in us and you know it's okay to stop doing this it's absolutely okay we don't owe it to ourselves to kind of do this for the rest of our lives and be miserable um, so before we get miserable let's, let's just do whatever we have to do and then finish up and that's how Give Him a Kick finished up I'm not saying it was prompted by those two geeks with Adebisi Shank <laughs> but it, it was just that was my Adebisi mindset Adebisi Shank killed <laughs> Give Him a Kick this is brilliant <laughs> I think that didn't go the way I meant it to go, but there you go. Um, uh, yeah, so that that was it, and kind of decided like you know, this opportunity came to us where um, it was kind of a big deal that we 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 got this chance we give him any kick to do something really really big, and it would have meant leaving the country for a pro- prolonged period of time, going to America for like six or six months or something, and we sat down and talked about it myself and Keith and. We realized we didn't want to do that at all, um, and they were kind of like, "Yeah, I think we're, I think we're drawn to a close." And yeah, I think we are. I think we are, because we both realized like we we put our lives into it for seven or eight years, and it just wasn't something we want to dedicate 100 percent anymore. And if we weren't dedicating 100 percent of ourselves to it, then what was the point in that? You know, there, you can't do it half-assed. Um, so we planned out our kind of our demise in a way, and we wanted to do a few things before we finished up. And that, that's what we did. That, that's what happened. And I don't know if that's the way bands are meant to break up at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never really been in a band that broke up before. They just kind of finished. Uh, but yeah, we, we we were really happy and satisfied to end when we did. Yeah. And um, yeah, and as and again, I can say that today as well. You know, I'm really happy and satisfied that we did these past four gigs as well. Right, yeah. Um, and then, like, obviously you had, like, uh, windings yeah. kind of taking over f- from Give Man a Kick, like, yeah. from your creative output, I guess. Yeah, so the first album, Windings album, was really a solo affair of stuff I've been doing, because Keith had started college in between two albums, so he needed a year to kind of concentrate on that. We weren't playing as many gigs, so I did some recordings at home. Um, I didn't know how to record at home. I used this journalism recording thing, audio thing called Cool Edit Pro, and uh, I had one single microphone that I plugged into the microphone slot on my computer. And I recorded that whole album like that, the first Windings album. And it was released the same year as Weird Way Forward. So again, I was able to play all my really quiet solo stuff and be given a kick as well. And the Windings album was really, really um, well received. So I got a lot of cool gigs out of that as well. Um, and so when, when Give Man a Kick did our final tour, I had just recorded the second Windings album, which had a band at this stage. And it was kind of purposely the opposite of what I knew people might have wanted to hear because I just wanted to completely separate what I'm doing now from what has come before. Um, so that wasn't as well received. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked it. I'm proud of it. Um, but yeah, so after the, the second Windings album, It's Never Night, which I'm, I really, really do like, um, we kind of got a Windings band together and that's kind of been changing a lot and, and we, uh, we're a five-piece band now. And we've recorded, I think we just recorded our fourth album. We did a split album as well with Landlovers. 
so four and a half albums and um, yeah that's that's been my life so everything I've learned to give man a kick I've brought to windings like not, not musically obviously but the way to go about doing things yeah. and how not to kill yourself doing it and how not to get a nervous breakdown I mean there are times I'm approaching nervous breakdown but you know there's five other guys in the band we, we spread that stress around <laughs> evenly and it's a, it's a, it's brilliant I love windings I love it yeah but like I mean uh, you, you said before I don't think you said on, on this podcast that like your voice is a little bit sore from or a little bit hoarse from yeah. um, the uh, going back to the give a man a, a kick stuff. I mean, like they are kind of totally different bands, really. In a way, yeah, I mean, 100%. like I mean, your playing style is obviously way different because I know you more from Windings than give a man a kick. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, like watching the gig last night, I was like, oh my god, these guitar lines are absolutely filthy. <laughs> you know, they're just like, oh, they're just like sick would be the word. Cool, like, you Thank know, you they're good, just. Yeah. Uh, like if you're if you're just learning electric guitar, like and you see that, you're like, whoa, I want to do that. Oh, cool. Okay, you know? thanks. That's a cool thing to say. But Thank like, uh, I mean, did you like you were talking about it already? I guess. But I mean, like, was it a purposeful? This is going to be completely different. I mean, like, do do you see the differences between windings and give man a kick? Yeah, more so on this tour. Yeah, yes, my voice doesn't usually sound as sexy <laughs> as it does today. That's I've just been out of practice. You know. Like we give man a kick, we were practicing three days a week for six hours at a time. And my voice, I was able to do it so I'd never lose my voice. Somehow I've forgotten how to do that and my voice has suffered as a result. <laughs> so yeah, so that's why it sounds so damn sexy. But yeah, um, the windings thing uh, and the give man a kick thing, obviously are very different, you know, visually and, you know, hourly, obviously. But uh, it was never, like I just wanted to write as much. I was I was writing a lot of songs and some of them didn't fit with Give Man a Kick and vice versa. And it's like, well, I don't want to get rid of them, so I better do something else. And that's how that happened. And that's how things have always happened with me and my music, you know. With Windings, I can do whatever. Like, I can do whatever. We're, you know, we're on Out of Limb Records and they never put any pressure on us to adhere to a certain genre. We can literally do whatever you want. We have a, we do have people who like to know what we're doing and, and will listen to us and come to our gigs. But we don't have to sound like anything. We can, I'm going to say it again for about the third time. We can do whatever we want. So when we write songs, it's like, okay, what's this song going to be? What's this album going to be like? Um, we never have a clear or set idea. Like, we know what we're going to do. We know we're going to release it. We know we're going to be touring it. We want people to hear it. Um, and then we want to make another one. And that's the only reason why things exist is because we have five people who have the same mindset, which is very difficult because we're all the same age. We all have careers. We're There's masters, there's PhDs, there's families, there's... there's uh, there's wives and girlfriends, there's all these things that real life is, as people call it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to try and find time to do this as well, uh, it's really hard. So you have to be dedicated to it. And, and us five lads happen to be. Um, and we want to make the best music we can. And we want we want it to exist because we're doing this for our, ourselves primarily because we, we are musicians and we, we're songwriters. Um, and that's our reason for being. Like, we have to do this because we'll feel wrong personally without it if we don't have this form of expression for ourselves we feel we're not being all that we can really um and yeah we don't want that so we we, we do what we can to, to make windings happen and and that's why it's such a really important thing to us to be doing and um yeah this got pretty heavy but i, I think that is the way i think of things because you know when you reach a, like I, i'm 36 now and i've been doing this all of my adult life uh, since my late teens I've been playing music in all different capacities and there are times when you sit down and justify it to yourself like why am I doing this this is really stressful 
um, I'm fighting with people over this. I'm, I'm, you know, what's going on? And you do have to go look. I, I, why am I doing this? You know, and the reason is because you you have to. You have to. Uh, path remindings uh, makes a, <laughs> a kind of an analogy. It's kind of he goes, look, GA people are the same. Like you know, they're the same. They're gonna win something if they do good. That's it though. You know, then they go back and they train like so much and you're kind of going why are yeah. you doing this why are you spending all your life doing this they're chasing something constantly they have to do it like they have to they want to it's in them and i think that's the same with musicians you know i thought you were going to say that b- because you still really enjoy it like oh you, yeah you i still, do yeah like, you have to enjoy like picking up the guitar and singing and and playing along with other people oh, like, yeah, to keep yeah. doing it yeah the day it becomes something hateful to you like stop it jesus stop it why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. The day you go, this is ah, oh, this is rubbish. Like, yeah, okay, quit, stop. There's no harm in that. If it gets difficult, you acknowledge it's difficult. That doesn't mean it's something you don't want to do. It's just difficult. You'll make things happen so you can do it. But the day you go, like, yeah, no, this I'm not liking this at all. You got to stop, stop. Yeah. Like, why? Your art is gonna suffer. You're not gonna be making stuff that you like, and you're you're gonna look back and go, that was shit. I really didn't like that at all. So don't, just don't take a break. Maybe. Or just stop for a while and yeah, you can still do it. Um, coming back to the the last four shows, um, mm-hmm. uh, con- my confession time now is that last <laughs> night was the first time that I seen Naive Ted. Oh yeah, yeah. Playing yeah. and like I was just talking to another couple of people yesterday and today, and they were just saying, yeah, first time seeing him as well. It was absolutely amazing, blew my mind. And uh, and I was just saying that you know, it's interesting how uh, you know, it's complete heavy rock band give a man a kick and naive ted something quite different mm-hmm. like i mean what was the thinking behind asking him to play other than like i presume that you're a huge fan or yeah a i really fan. like him um yeah. this was never this is uh never a problem back in the day like we used to play on bills with like um acoustic acts and there would be five bands maybe playing at a gig and every band would be different and that was never a problem it was a gig you got to see all these different genres of music so we've never even thought like of um genres when it when it came to supporting other bands or getting other bands to support those and we love how Ted does like it's and his live show is amazing so and I know him I know Andy now and I, I didn't know him like up until a year or two ago like I was aware of him as deviant and naive Ted but I'd never really seen him play so I've ended up working with him in Music Generation in City and I've ended up working with a bunch of people actually who I knew of but never knew and have got to know and because of that I've ended up working with them in musical capacity and Andy is one of them and um, since we asked him to kind of do this tour, if he'd be into it, because I knew he wanted to kind of go into hiatus for a while, so I wasn't sure if he'd be into playing, but he was, he was excited, because he was giving giving me a kick fan, I didn't know that, uh, so he was like excited, and I was like, oh, brilliant, okay. Um, he's like, he's from the same ethos, he's from the same, he, he he's very serious about his music, he does it because he has to, and and it's hard for him, uh, but he does it because he has to. This is his form of expression, and I appreciate that. And so does Keith. And what he does is brilliant. And th- that was really the reason. That's it. Like this guy's going to be amazing. Um, he has to support us. We, I hope he'll do it, and he did. And more recently, like uh, I've been working with him, and he released this EP actually just just last Monday. He does. It, he released an album not yeah, that long yeah. ago at all. Early and since then, I think he's released two EPs. So he's a prolific fucker. But I'm mean, say sorry. You no, can I'm, say whatever yeah, you okay. want. <laughs> But he is, um, and the most recent one, Bloom Three, he called it. Um, is I get I I got a load of guitar stuff on it, and I did some vocals for it. And I'm really proud of that uh, because I we we kind of were snatching time over the past year to just do some recordings, 
uh, and what he he took them and produced them and, and like reworked them in such a way I'm kind of going wow that's wow it's just amazing to me it's about a 20 minute EP check it out yeah, yeah. As, as you said last night, like he, he samples the Foo Fighters. He samples Foo Fighters. <laughs> I brought him this sample and go, look, I think this is cool. You, I don't know if you can use it or something. And he kind of went, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Then I heard the album or the EP. He was like, ah, yes, nice one. <laughs> um, he called the song Dave Grohl's Broken Leg as well. So that's how you know what, what sample is. Uh, I'm just a huge fan. I'm just delighted he was able to open for us. And yeah. Delighted. Um, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about music, the music generations Limerick? Sure, yeah, yeah, City, music yeah. generation. I, I Limerick City. don't really know too much about it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'll give you a really brief history from what I know. It's uh, it was set up about three years ago um, by you two. Um, they they give they give several million euro to set up this kind of uh, left not left the field but alternative music education program kind of a thing for for the youth of Ireland, and the one in Limerick started two years ago. And the one in Limerick is slightly different to the rest of the country because we don't go in for classical music training. A lot of the other ones are choral-based or classical-based, whereas the, the guy, guy who runs it in Limerick wanted to hire actual working musicians because he felt that would probably suit, the, suit it more. And maybe that's what you two wanted, who knows. So there's a bunch of lads from the Limerick music scene um, working in Music Generation in Limerick City and we're working with young people, um, basically trying to show them how music can be a form of creativity and self-expression. And that's it. That has to be it. At the very base, if you want to do music, we want it because it's creative and you can express yourself. Um, and that's what we do. So we do kind of songwriting classes. We facilitate gigs. We put on gigs. We kind of get bands together from like-minded people um, who, who might not, they might play music by themselves but have never met someone else who's interested. So we run things on Saturdays called Band Explosion and Limerick Voices. So that's a songwriting programme. And then afterwards, it goes into kind of rehearsal rooms and kind of show them how, how we know to be in a band. Not necessarily the correct way to be in a band, but how we have done stuff. And if that helps don't in any way... Don't put oil in the, in the don't brake fluid. Don't put oil in the fluid, lads. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of what we do. We go into secondary schools and uh, do gigs. Um, and we do kind of workshops with them. Uh, there's some national school stuff as well. Um it's great, like it, it's great because it, there's been an uptake on it. And this summer we got to put on a festival in Limerick City. We were able to close down an area of the city. We got a stage. I think we had 40 acts playing over like six hours with two stages and it's going ping pong back and forth. And we got the young people to organize it. Like So they were the guys who, they booked it. They told us how it should be run, how it should be set up. And it was amazing. And it was really well attended. And hopefully it'll be something happens again next year. And that, that was really a high point. I was like, cool, this is working. We're just trying to get, you know, to show people how like the Limerick music scene is great. It is, don't get me wrong, but it, it needs it needs a push every now and again. And hopefully these young people will be the ones that kind of, they're organising their own gigs already, doing their own demos and stuff. So, brilliant. Ah. Yeah, it's great. It's wow. great. Um, Ray from the bars wanted me to ask you a question. Shit. He, he, sa he asked, uh, what does it feel like to be the granddad of the Limerick music scene? What a dickhead. <laughs> Not even like uncle. <laughs> Granddad straight in there. I, don't know. I think that there's a compliment in there somewhere. Is there? I'm trying to search. Yeah. Uh, uh, hitherto, I didn't know I was <laughs> the granddad of the lyric music scene. I'm not. <laughs> it would feel weird if I was, because that would mean I'd have to retire. And I have no intention of doing that. Granddad's retiring and stuff. I'm not, not, I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> <laughs> not ready to quit just yet. No, no, man. I got to keep going. 
Um, <laughs> do you want to tell the? Do you want to commit to tape uh, the suffer the gals backstory that you told at the gig last? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, no bother. Um, okay, so yeah, the song suffer the gals. People have always asked me like, <laughs> they've either said that's a great name, and have swiftly followed like where'd you get that, or they've gone what the hell does that mean? Um, I never really told anybody. Um, it, it was at a point of desperation that I was speaking about earlier when um, you know you hit a low point and everything's going against you when you're doing music and things are hard I actually remember the incident was I came back from a tour of the UK and on the very last gig I had and I swear to God I'd accidentally smashed my guitar to bits off the stage and it was my only guitar and I got home going not only did we not really make any money at all but now I have no instrument <laughs> and I was at home I was living at home uh, with mum and dad and um I was in the kitchen going like, oh, trying to tell my parents, you know, yeah, it was pretty, had a great UK tour. It was, yeah, things are going well. But all the combustion was like, I'm not, I broke my guitar, mom. Like, and, and actually, we just got this review yesterday and they said they didn't like us. I mean, they didn't even say they hated us. They said they didn't really like it. And like, you know, I, I want the review to be hot or cold. I don't want middle ground. I don't want someone to go, eh. I want, I hated that or I loved it. That's what I want. So I was feeling bad, no guitar, someone didn't really care that much about what we were doing. And I was just calling everybody a goal. <laughs> and a goal, I, I, I learned as well, that didn't really travel outside Limerick too far. A uh, goal is someone who's just like a pain in the hole or, you know, it's a general kind of situation as well. If you call someone a goal, it can be for anything. It can be like Langer and Cork as well. Yeah. So it can be a term of affection. It'll go away, you goal, you know. But you can also say you're a goal. And I mean that. So I was going, these people are goals. My mum was kind of going, okay, she could see she could see I was having a bad time. She kind of just went, look, Stephen, suffer the goals, just suffer the goals, which is her, her way of saying, look, you'll get over this. Just get through it. Just, you know, ignore them. You'll come out the other side. It's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've been doing that quite a while now, suffering the goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Came out the other side okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll wrap up there. I've, um, my battery is almost about to die. Cool, um, I went down a bit, sorry. I guess... Uh, just like, so how do you feel about giving man a kick now? Like, you know, it's in the past now, I guess. It's in the past, yeah. We've kind of, um, yeah, we've, we've we've laid it to rest in a really positive way, in a really positive way. And I've had, I've had such a positive experience out of, out of these past four gigs and so has Keith and so has Andy, you know, you've had as well. And it's just been brilliant doing this and it's been great to see people actually coming out to support us and, and reciprocating what we were feeling as well, which is like, yeah, this was cool. Um, and it was, it was cool. And I'm so happy to be able to do it. And I feel lucky to be able to do it as well. Really lucky that um, people still wanted to have something to do with this. Uh, yeah, I feel elated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I was, I was just messaging you beforehand and you were saying, oh my God, it might be a little bit emotional in the last gig. I mean, were, yeah. you, were you emotional last gig? Yeah, night? absolutely, yeah. But I was also elated, and that's carried through today. It was just, you know, I, I can't find anything really negative in it. Other than that, we can't really do it again. Uh, it's like me and Keith can play all the time; that would be ridiculous. We can play whenever we want, but we can't really do give me a kick ever again. That that's the end of that. Uh, but it would be ridiculous to say that I won't play music with Keith. Like, but it doesn't mean we're going to ever release an album or play live. But yeah, yeah. we'll jam like we always do. Um, yeah, so it's just the end of that. It's the end of give me a kick, and. I'm, proud to be part of it cool uh, Keith is a killer drummer he's a great drummer well. oh yeah. man he reminded me of that these past four gigs not that I forgot but he reminded me of it <laughs> yeah just full of energy yeah 
yeah and, and skills <laughs> yeah that's that's you guys uh in a nutshell i guess like just full of energy yeah just get the crowd going yeah i'm feeling it today like yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> all right steve uh thanks a lot and good luck with uh new windings album i guess Thank will you. hopefully be coming soon yeah next year we're, we're gonna release we're gonna release something off of it in february or march and it's gonna be different to anything you've heard before from us <laughs> cool all right Thanks a lot and thanks thank for giving man a kick. Thanks for all the memories. Uh, thank you very much. That's cool. Thank you.